Hey, quick update on our friends in Israel. Last Sunday was the day after the initial attack from the uh, terrorists from Hamas in Israel. We had multiple dozens of our friends from Corvallis and from Coos Bay and from Astoria over in Israel. And so they all got back on Wednesday night and Thursday morning. Praise the Lord. And they were able to leave northern Israel. They actually fled and in, in, um, got out through vehicle to Jordan. And then they flew out of Jordan to Qatar and then from Qatar to SFO and some to LA and, and some to Seattle. So they're all back. This morning, right during worship practice, I got another email from a friend of mine named Josh. Josh is from Astoria. Him and his wife and their five children moved to Israel this last year to be in the ministry over there just north of Jerusalem. And so they've been there watching and waiting. And today he just sent an email and said that they're being forced to evacuate the country and they don't know if they're ever going to go back. And so just really big stuff going on over there. Keep praying. I don't know what's going to happen next. There's lots of talking heads out there and prophecy buffs that say this might lead to that. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know Israel has a right to defend herself and that the enemy that is picked to fight with Israel knows no truce, knows no peace, knows no victory other than their own dominance. And so at that point, there's a huge problem in what's known as the Gaza Strip, which is, by the way, where Samson, our next judge we're studying, he would have most of his problems arise out of there in the Gaza Strip as well. The Gaza Strip is about a nine-mile in length area. So it's like from here to Depot Bay. It's not that big, and there's a couple million people living there. And a lot of them, I heard yesterday in one video I watched, 85% of the people that live there are those who are nihilist. Those are the ones who believe that the Jews need to be annihilated from the face of the earth. There is no other way. It's not peace. It's not regions. It's not borders. It is death to the Jews. 85%. Now, there's 15% there in the Gaza Strip that aren't hardliners. These, there's even Christians in the Gaza Strip. These are going to be the innocent people caught in the crossfire. For sure, devastation and casualties and bloodshed is not good. And yet there are those who have indoctrinated others in Israel. I don't know what's going to happen next. I do know this, though. The Bible says that when things start to cook up in Jerusalem, when things start to begin to get heavy, look up for your redemption draws near. These are, again, birth pains leading towards a real birth, the birth of the Antichrist coming up to sway the world, the birth of what I believe is the rapture of the church where we'll be rescued and caught up to be with the Lord. And then the birthing then of the seven-year tribulation period, three and a half years of relative peace. Can you imagine if a fellow right now were to rise up somewhere in Europe or in the Middle East and say, I got a plan, and it worked, and he had charisma and persuasion and power. Why in the world wouldn't the world turn to this antichrist, to this man? Antichrist, by the way, doesn't mean against Christ. It means in place of Christ. It's a savior, not Jesus and not the Lord, but it's somebody else. I'll be the savior. Oh man, finally somebody brings peace to the Middle East and dozens and hundreds and thousands and millions of people will be persuaded and duped. And three and a half years will lead to the middle mark of the tribulation period where I believe the church will have been raptured and in heaven enjoying the Lord, reunited with our loved ones and friends and family. And at the three and a half year marker down below will begin the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation where the Antichrist shows his true colors and people begin to see, whoa, 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 who is this guy and what's going on? All of this, by the way, is detailed in the book of Revelation chapter 16 through 19. You can go on YouTube and type in South Beach Church, Book of Revelation. You can listen to all of our sermons there, or you can go to our app, and I think some of them are on there. You can listen to these teachings and know what's going on. 
All that to say this, the Bible says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Some of these things I just mentioned are way over my head, way too deep to understand. But God hasn't revealed to us everything there is to know, but he has revealed to us what we do need to know. He's shown us the basics. Let me just read to you out of the first book of the Bible. And this is what God said to Abraham, the father of the Jews, the father of faith. This is Genesis 12. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, before he changed his name, get out of your country. He's from Ur of the Chaldees. He was a pagan idolater until the Lord saved him, radically changed him, and made him a monotheistic worshiper, one God. And he changed him, him and his whole family. He said, come and follow me. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, and into a land that I will show you. Verse 2 of Genesis 12. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Talking about the nation of Israel, the Jews. Did you know that the greatest percentage of Nobel Peace Prize winners are Jewish? Of all of the men and women over the years in the world who have won the highest esteem globally, the majority of those who've won are Jewish in nature, in ethnicity. God just chose to give them a special dose of blessing and anointing. He said, I'm going to bless you, Abe. I'm going to bless your kids. Then in verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you. That's anybody who prays for the peace of Jerusalem, who trusts in God. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a promise and a principle early, early on. Before Abraham had Jacob and Isaac and, and all the rest, before they were born to him in this way. And God says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. This principle has it changed. And I, again, need to clarify, I don't believe in all of the politics politically in Israel with Benjamin Netanyahu and all the other prime ministers. I don't, that's not the point. The point is, is that God has chosen his people. Listen, if you think God's going to let go of Israel, his chosen people, that's a bad theology because that then needs to be overflowed and overlaid into the theology of him choosing you. And if he's going to let them go, well, he could let you go any day too. I can't believe in that. I believe that he's chosen me, that I'm redeemed, not because of who I am, but because I have been chosen by a redeemer. That being said, if you've been studying these things for a while, and I've been into end days and theology and eschatology for 22, 23, maybe 24 years now. So here we are again. This has happened before. It's come up on the radar. And, Whoa, this is it. And everyone puts their rapture socks on, their rapture shoes. And I don't think that's a bad idea because we should live like Jesus is coming back today. What would that do to your day? What would that do to your mentality? Mm. What would that do to the things you're dealing with right now? He would rightfully organize them. We should live like he's coming back today because it might happen. But we can and should plan and prepare like he's coming back in 100 years. It's okay to buy a house and put some money away and to do some things and to raise up an inheritance for your kids or whatever it is you're doing. But if you live like he's coming back today, man... Don't be ignorant of these things. Paul, the apostle, said three things to not be ignorant of. Those who died and gone away, spiritual gifts, and the end days. Don't be ignorant of those three things. I'm ignorant of a whole bunch of stuff. But I don't want to be ignorant of those three things. The Lord's near return. May we stay sensitive. Peter said there will be those who in the end days say, it's always been this way. You guys keep talking about his return and he never shows up. There's going to be scoffers in the midst. People say, blah, blah, blah. You guys are always talking this way. 
Have you ever felt that through your, I guess I feel, I'm, I fulfilled that prophecy from time to time. And I want to be ready. I want to have my rapture shoes on. But until then, I want to study to show myself approved, a workman unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth, and needing not to be ashamed. See, the Bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no one pursues. We need to be righteous right now. Holy, pure, ready, like a bride prepared for his groom. You ever been to a wedding that started late? It's the worst. It's the worst. Isn't it the worst? Especially if you're a guest, you're like, this is the worst. I, I pastor a lot of weddings. I try and keep everyone on point. I'm like, dude, we gotta go. We, can't, we gotta go there. Let's wait for the groom to come out and the bride. And, and it's a picture of the Lord's return. And, and there are people who've just gotten weary, waiting. And I want to make sure that I don't grow weary and scoffer. So, Lord, we pray for Israel in Jesus' name. We pray for peace, Lord, on Jerusalem. We pray for wisdom upon the cabinet, Lord, and the leaders and the Israel Defense Force. We pray, Lord, that you would protect Israel from haters and from those against her, Lord. We pray that you'd be sovereign over all bloodshed, Lord, and all loss. Lord, we live in a very sophisticated time. We don't like talking about blood and war. Just, it, I don't, Lord. I just don't like, we're, we're beyond that, aren't we? And yet James says, where do wars come from? They come from evil and hatred and jealousy and envy, all these silly things. We just look to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Help us not to be in conversations that we don't belong in, Lord, or making assumptions. But may we just stick to the mission. Even the apostles, the disciples, the apostles, they said, Lord, what's it going to be like before you return? Tell us these things. We need to know. And he told them. And she said, make sure you just be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Would you do that today, Lord, as we open up your word now as we get into Judges 13 again? Would you lead us and guide us? Humble us, Lord, and equip us. We just pray for your mercy upon all our friends, Josh and his family, as they make Exodus, Lord. He asked for a special prayer that he would be able to get his animals out of Israel too. They're not letting his animals leave at this time. He won't be able to go back and his kids are devastated. Lord, I thank you for little kids' hearts. Get those animals, Lord. Let there be a variance, Lord, an allowance. Just get them out safely. We pray for near our friend, our tour guide, Lord. That you protect him and Hannah and their kids. Give them wisdom, Lord, to know what to do. Lord, we pray for Haim, Lord, our bus driver last year. He's such a cool guy, Lord. Thank you for all you're doing and all you've done, Lord. Would you save many people? Just save, 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 because we know this is not our eternal home. That it's not going to end well for any of us here. We're all going to die. And so, Lord, may many people go to heaven. Save us, we pray, even now through your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, take your Bibles now and open up to Judges 13. And in Judges 13, we read almost the whole chapter last week. Listen, so I'm not going to read the whole chapter this week. But instead, we're going to extract 12 principles in the next 20 minutes. So take out your notepad, write down these 12. Is that too much? We'll do it anyways. 12 principles out of chapter 13 that you need to apply to your life as God raises up once again another judge to deliver silly, sinful, foolish Israel. Israel, during this 400-year period before they had kings to lead them, would have judges, not judges like Judge Judy and Judge Wapner, but judges like William Wallace with swords and shields, leaders. And they needed a leader now as they have needed a leader before, primarily because verse 1 says, look at, look at it, again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he delivered them into the hand of the Philistines. Last week, we ripped through some of the Sarah Yardley, who's on staff here, said, man, this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture, and you're just ripping through it, you know. And 
we were out of time last week, so I felt compelled to just go through slower kinda and extract some more principles. Write down this principle. God only spanks the kids he loves. That's a fun one. Isn't that crazy? The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord again, so he delivered them to the Philistines as the spanking spoon. Probably not a double-handed spanking spoon, just a you know, little swat. And he, he's disciplining them once again. Why would he do that? Because he loves us. Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, you can write that next to that first principle, Hebrews 12, that nobody likes to be disciplined, but God only disciplines those whom he loves because there's kids. There's actually a warning in Hebrews 12. It says, if you're not being disciplined by God at this time, it could be because you're illegitimate. You're not a kid. You're not his. Just like my three kids are sitting over here on my right, and I, as I raise them, I discipline them. But I primarily focus on my kids. I don't really discipline your kids. That's going to get me in hot water, big trouble. I, I see your kids. I'm like, you better figure that out. But I'm not disciplining your kids. God doesn't discipline people that aren't his kids. And I say that to say this. Welcome the discipline of the Lord. It's not fun. It's not pleasurable. That's what the Bible says in the season, Hebrews 12. But it does produce for us peaceable fruit. I remember when I got arrested at SOU in 1998, and I got arrested for fake IDs, and I got cited twice, and I got sent to jail. All these things were happening, and the people that I was running with were godless heathens at the time, and that's who I was associated with, and they were all bummed out for me. Oh, Luke, this is such a drag that this happened. Now, I was a homeschooled Christian boy who lost my head. Woo, going crazy. And so when I got arrested, I knew it was the Lord. It was his love for me. It was the prayers that I'd actually been praying. Lord, I'm pretty sure I'm in too deep. I'm pretty sure I've wavered. I'm a lost. Lord, would you help me? I couldn't help myself. So the Lord said, the Ashland Police Department, the finest, you know, come help me out. How do you look at the chastisement of the Lord? And we, we usually don't like it. Like, oh, no. And yet, when you realize that God loves you so much that he's going to love you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And can you just freak out with me? He loves you. Don't resist the chastisement of the Lord. Don't resist what he's doing. The angel of the Lord appears to them. And then he, what's he, what's he want to do? What's he want to do? Verse 1 leads to verses 2 and 3, where it says that the angel of the Lord comes to Manoah's wife, who was barren, and she was under oppression. And he says to her, gives her a promise, he says, you're going to have a baby, and I'm going to begin to deliver Israel through it. Isn't this crazy that when God chastises us, he literally wants to bless us? John 3, 16, how many of you guys know the verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. How many of you guys know the next verse? Because the son of man did not come to condemn the world. Is it Jesus? I didn't come to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. Whoa. See, when you get busted, it's only because God wants to bless. It's only because God wants to lift you up. But listen, listen, this is kind of a, a, a twist. Principle number two is God blesses others. He wants to bless us. I mean, he blesses others through us. He comes to Manoah's wife and says, you're going to have a baby. No way. Tramp out. He says, well, there's, and there's more. And this baby's going to bless everyone else. When God blesses you, if God blesses you, as God blesses you, even through difficult times, you, especially if you're an American consumer like me, we need to get our eyes off of our blessings and say, why did you bless me, Lord? He didn't bless you just for you. See, we live to our means here in America. If you get a paycheck, you usually spend it all on yourself. It's just what we do. And if you get a raise, you usually adjust to that. You spend more on yourself. It's just what all of us do. We're conditioned this way. In other cultures, though, if you have more than you need, you ask yourself, how can I bless others? How can I give my time, talent, and treasure away? And I would encourage you 
If God's given to you a measure of forgiveness and grace and restoration, if he's given you gifts and talent and wisdom, anything at all, don't be caught consuming that until the day you die. Instead, say, Lord, would you make me a funnel? Oh, wow, you're going to give me a kid? You're going to bless me in a barren season? Why would you do that? Oh, because your son, Sammy boy, Samson, he's going to begin to deliver Israel. Principle number two is God blesses others through us. Now, I want to challenge you. If you seek to live this lifestyle where it's like, okay, Lord, what do I have? And ask God, what do I have to give away? Whoa, buckle up. Your life about to get fun. Your life about to get crazy when you realize that it's not just about you, but everywhere you go. Yesterday, I was in a Shehalem, wherever that is. I went to the Shehalem Friends Church. You guys ever been there? Yeah, me neither. My GPS almost died getting me there. I had no idea where I was going. Through cornfields, I was going through mines, and there's a volcano, all this stuff. And I finally got to in the middle of nowhere. And as I got there, I kind of asked myself, you know, what I'm doing here. And I was asked to do a wedding many months ago, earlier in the summer. And I agreed. And as I got there, I said, Lord, I'm just here to serve. I'm just a, ser a servant having done what I was asked to do. In the middle of nowhere, and it, and it purified my heart, and it blessed the crowd, the very, very small crowd, and James and Mandy Rasky, who used to live in Newport, as they renewed their vows, 10-year anniversary, and I just, you have to wrestle with your flesh sometimes when you're given out, when you're being asked to go the next mile. Most of us come up short, we cut corners, don't do that, God's given to you things to bless other people. Now, I mentioned this earlier, God loves to bless us, but God loves to save us. Principle number three, God loves to save us. You know this? God came to them when they weren't even praying. They were in trouble. And God's like, I'm gonna send an angel. I'm gonna go and stir things up with Manoah and Mrs. Manoah. And I need to remind this church and the pastor of this church of this constantly, the mission of Jesus Christ, because I get it twisted, I forget as well. Sometimes I go off mission. It's easy on Sunday to preach to y'all. You guys are super fun, friendly. You guys are just awesome. You guys got your Bibles open, you're listening. But sometimes I forget that God loves to bless people and save other people. On Tuesday, I was driving to Corvallis and went to Albany and went to Costco. You guys ever been to Costco before? And the place is nuts. And I was in Costco and I was getting ready to go to OSU at 8 p.m. on Tuesday and preach to the real life OSU Bible study. I need to let you guys know there's a revival going on at Oregon State University right now at Real Life. It is incredible. It's crazy. And so I was on my way to teach there. Over 300 students showed up at 8 p.m. Man, that's bedtime for all you geriatrics out there, right? 8 p.m. They all showed up, and I was at Costco. And as I'm kind of getting ready, they assigned to me the book of Acts chapter 1. Pick wherever you want, Luke. Teach whatever you want. I was like, okay, I'll figure it out when I get there. And as I'm walking down one of the aisles thinking about Acts 1, where Jesus tells the disciples, you go, you be witnesses, you share. They had just asked Jesus what he was going to do. He said, nothing. I did it all. You're going to get my power now, and it's your turn. It's really a big tap chapter. So as I was walking down the freezer section, true story, I'm walking down the freezer section, and I see this gal who's giving out samples, you know, the sample gals there, and she was about 195 years old. <laughs> and she was sitting down on the cooler waiting for the corn dogs to heat up in the microwave, you know, and, and I just walked by, I was like, wow, you know, I've never seen somebody as old in my life, you know. And, and as I walked by, the Lord says, go encourage her. Go bless her right now. And I was like, well, I got stuff to do, Lord. You know, I'm here, God. You know, I'm not buying corn dogs tonight, you know. And, that, and the Lord just said, what do you got to lose? Go love her. Just go remind her. So I stopped and went back and she had a name, Dad Carol. You know, I said, Carol, you know, woke her up, you know. And 
ooh, you want a corn dog? I was like, I absolutely want a corn dog, you know? And it wasn't even that good, you know? But I ate the corn dog. And I just asked Carol, I said, Carol, do you know Jesus? And she looked up at me. She said, do you know Jesus? I said, I know Jesus. And she smiled and said, I know Jesus. And we had a Jesus conversation. And I said, Jesus, I said, Jesus is coming soon. She goes, he better hurry up. We had a great conversation. It, it, was, it was a choice I had to make. It was a decision I had to take. Go, go love on her. I don't, and I just shared that because I need to remind this church and the pastor of this church the mission we're on. See, Jesus sends people. He loves people. Forgot to love the world. He went to Jonah and said, go to the Ninevites. Jonah didn't want nothing to do with that. He went to Peter and he said, go to Cornelius. He said, I don't want anything to do with that. And Jesus has to remind us, why are we here? So to get all we can and can all we get and sit on the can? Don't do that. Be active. We should all go to heaven with barely anything in the reserves. Don't have a bunch stored up in your barns down here and get to heaven. And the Lord say, why'd you do that? Why'd you have all that stored up in the world? I gave you resources, time, talent, treasure, in order that you would expend it upon others in the kingdom of God. You don't know how much longer you have. God loves to save us. Now, when God comes to Manoah and Mrs. Manoah, here's the fourth principle because we got to hustle. I got 12 of these. Here it is. Promises are given, but participation is required. God tells Mrs. Manoah, oh, you're going to have a baby. He's going to begin to deliver Israel. She could have popped right up and then went right after it. Hey, Mr. Manoah, we got work to do. You know what I'm saying? You're going to make a baby. You know, that would have been fine. But instead, she was given her marching orders. So here's what you need to do, Mrs. Manoah. Make sure that you don't eat grapes. No wine. By the way, modern day science has proven that women who are pregnant ought to avoid wine and stimulants and, and all these intoxicants like that. Isn't that crazy how the Old Testament 5,000 years ago said, duh. You know, the Bible knows what's right and what's true. And the Bible says to Mrs. Manoah, make sure and stay away from those things and make sure not to touch any dead items. And make sure when your son's raised up, he's a Nazarite. He's set aside from birth. I say all that to say this, this principle. God gives us promises, but participation is required. What are the promises that you know of the Bible that God has for you? Here's the deal. You should know the promises of God, but you should also know participation is required. Have you ever bought a piece of equipment or a piece of furniture at Ikea? And then you get home and you realize you have to have a PhD to like assemble that thing. You're like, oh no, you have to call a friend and a neighbor and your dad and a mechanic, you know, because you know, some assembly required. Everything needs assembly nowadays. And so too, but here's the deal. If you buy a piece of equipment or furniture, once you assemble it and do what you're supposed to do, then, then and only then can you enjoy it. And if you have a bag of parts left over, you're not going to enjoy it very well. It doesn't do everything it's supposed to. So too, the Lord has promises for you. Hey, I'm going to do these things. Cool. Anything I need to do? Oh yeah, for sure. You got to put some work in. You got to do hard things. You got to show up early and stay late. Say yes to everything. You got to abstain from the flesh. Feed the spirit. You can't just passively wait for the Lord to do things. Observe principles and sit back. No, no. You have to step out into it. And he gives her promises with participation. You ever joined a gym before? And you're like, I'm a gym member. It's like, that's about all you are, you know? You got to go to the gym. Or maybe you're smarter than that. You buy gym equipment, put it together in your garage, and now all of your clothes are hanging on it. And everything's like, there's a rower in there somewhere. Man, I don't want to belittle the point. I would just say, let me just make it practical. 
God gives us promises. Participation is required. The fifth principle is this, okay? Time, patience, and participation. That's what the fourth principle. Listen, here's the fifth principle. It's going to take longer than you think. Remember when this promise was given to Mrs. Manoa? You're going to have a kid, and he's going to begin to deliver Israel. Based on my quick math, that means we're going to still be in trouble for upwards of 20 years. Like, this isn't a quick fix. How many guys love quick fixes? Where are my people at? Americans, let's go. Quick fix. Man, if it's not quick, guys, it ain't, a, it ain't a fix, you know. And God says, oh, no, the promise is going to require participation, but it's also going to take longer than you think. Have you figured this out yet? This is the same in prayer. Have you ever prayed for something and nothing changes? Has that ever happened to you? You pray like, oh, pray once, it didn't happen. It's like, whoa. The effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. Have you ever read the Bible and then you stop reading the Bible and you're still the same person you were right before you started? Didn't change you? You got to keep reading the Bible. Have you ever tried to love somebody who's unlovable or who's hurt you and it didn't work the first time you tried, but it just didn't work? You got to continue to labor in love. Love is not passive. It's active. It's a verb. It's a virtue. It's an action. You got to forgive. You got to do all these things more than once. It has to be a lifestyle. If you've ever seen somebody super smart or super gifted at golf or super gifted in money or something, you're like, oh, wow, you just woke up that way. No, no. Been training for a while. Been doing the next right thing. And actually, I remember my pastor, oh man, I'm getting there. When my pastor turned 50, this is many years ago, I was like 30, probably 27 when he turned 50. And on his 50th birthday, he stood up on stage and he said, you know what? I thought I'd be a lot further along than I am now as a 50-year-old. I thought I, 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 I for sure thought I'd know more and have done more. And, and you could probably agree and say, yeah, me too. No matter how old you are, like, man, still learning some stuff? It's going to take longer. It's going to take longer than you think the fifth principle and as we continue to trust the lord let me just give you another principle principle number six manoah and mrs manoah were told that their son was going to be successful listen but the first directives were given to them we want other people to succeed do we not our kids the people in our community and sometimes listen sometimes we look down our nose and wonder what's going on in their lives and how they should get better and all these things the very first directive was to mrs manoa said hey if you want your son to succeed you got to do the right thing mom you got to be the one to abstain from worldliness flesh sinfulness and chaos you got to be the here's principle number six what you do with your life matters for what others will do with their life what you do with your life matters for what other people will do with their life because we tend to think that my kids shouldn't watch this, but I can watch it. My kids shouldn't go there, but I'm an adult. It's mature stuff. I can do it, but they, they for sure shouldn't. Listen, take that principle for a spin. If you want our community to be impacted, if you want the people around you, above you or below you to be impacted, it starts with you first. Paul said it this way to the pastors in Ephesus as he preached on the shores of Miletus in Acts 20. He said, pastors, take heed to yourselves and to the flock of God, which he purchased with his blood. Acts chapter 20. What's the order? Take heed to yourself. This is a big word. It's a, it's, a, it's a duh word, but it's a big word for moms and dads who are concerned with the next generation. Man, I don't want my kids to go cuckoo for Cocoa Bust. Sure, I don't want my kids to go crazy. Well, then you should raise them up in the way that they should go, for sure. Proverbs chapter 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you should also take introspection because what you do with your life matters for what others will do with their life. Now, there's another principle we're extracting from here. If you know the story, God tells Mrs. Manoah that her son will begin to deliver Israel. As we begin the next couple chapters, 14, 15, and 16, it is some of the darkest, silliest, most sinful, saddest portions of scripture we're going to study. The life of Samson, who had great potential, 
but a chink in his armor and he couldn't get his life right. Used powerfully by God from time to time, even till he died, but he was unable to gain control of his lust and of his flesh and of the things that he needed to deal with. And so when the angel, listen, when the angel, listen, well, listen, when the angel says to Mrs. Manoah, your son's going to begin to deliver Israel, you could stop right there and be like, begin? You mean he's not going to finish it? Not really. He's going to end sad. He's going to end dead. And in his death, he kills 3,000 Philistines. It's actually a glorious victory. He does end up in the hall of faith. There's great redemption. Here's the principle, though. There's a warning given to Mrs. Manoah that your son is actually going to be a sad story. And she didn't know. He didn't know. We know. You read the story before. We know. And the angel knew. Who's the angel? The angel's God himself. It's Jesus Christ. He's there. And here's the principle. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows. We don't. We don't. We can learn from Samson's life and change our ending. Did you know you can't change your beginning? But you can change your ending. Actually, that's principle number seven. You can't change the way you began but you can change the way you end. In the next several weeks, don't skip church. Bring a friend. Bring two packs of communion. Let the Lord search your heart. You can't change who you are and who you've been and what you've done, but you can make adjustments right now and you can change the way you end your life. You can change the end. This prophecy was given to Mrs. Manoah. Your son's going to begin. We all want to hear, like, what about the ending? It's going to end real good. I don't know. It's going to end pretty sad. And I don't know about you, but I got a pulse. You guys got pulses? I hope so. And because I've got a pulse, I have the power to make the right decisions moving forward. I can adjust. I can say, Lord, I don't want to just begin. I don't want to have partial victory and a little bit of success. I want to have full victory. And I want to learn from what God shows us. Okay, number eight, as we continue through this portion that we studied last week, you'll remember when Mrs. Manoah gets the vision from the Lord, she goes to Mr. Manoah. She's like, an angel came. It was crazy. He told me I'm going to have a kid. He said, I'm going to stay away from raisin nuts and raisin cakes and raisin bread. Nobody likes raisin bread. Got to stay away from all these things, you know, no wine. and got to make sure we do it right. And Mr. Manoah prays. He says, Lord, would you send the angel, the messenger again, so we can know how to raise the baby? He's kind of dense, you know, needs a confirmation. And so when the angel shows up, he's like, hey, what should we do? And the angel literally says, I already told your wife. What's wrong with you? You know, and he repeats it verbatim, the same thing. There's no new words given. Principle number eight is obey what God has already told you to do. Do the next right thing. Don't compromise. Don't negotiate. When something is clearly given to you, you can look for confirmation for sure, like Mr. Manoah was doing. But you know what the Lord often asks from you and from me? Listen, this is huge. He wants you to obey what he's already revealed to you. We're such weirdos. We have so, if you're a Christian here today, you have so much knowledge. You have so many things you know to do. You're like, I don't know what God wants me to do. (laughs) Not true. You just don't like it. You just don't like it. You want a little sugar on it, a little sweet. You're like, I know he said to love my wife, but man, I don't want to do that. I know he said to submit to my husband about it. I want to do it. I know he said, I don't want it. And we just like, so we're like, I'm going to wait till the Lord shows me what to do. He's like, what? Just obey what the Lord has already told you to do by faith. It's not going to get any easier down the road. You know, you ever played those like Trivial Pursuit games where, where charades, like, ah, oh, pass, you know, and you get a new card. Sometimes we're like, oh, that's a real tough one. Pass, you know. Get pass. 
Manoah's like, hey, let's just make sure we get something. Principle number eight, God has already told you, obey what he's already told you to do. Number, principle number nine. Okay, I'm just going to read this to you and explain it. God rarely pours himself out on parked cars. At the end of this kind of time together, Mr. and Mrs. Manoah say, can we offer you anything, some food or a, a drink? And the guy says, if you're going to offer anything, offer it to the Lord, a sacrifice. So Mr. and Mrs. Manoah prepare a sacrifice and they worship and they give themselves over to the Lord. And all of a sudden, God transforms himself through the sacrifice on the rock into the fire and ascends into heaven. It's all a picture of things to come with Jesus Christ. And as this happens, Manoah and his wife freak out. Miracles drop on them. Here's the principle. I'm going to read it to you. God rarely pours himself out on parked cars. Sub-principle, do something. Now let me make sure I teach this properly. God doesn't owe you any miracles. You can't force him to do miracles. Sometimes we'll fast and pray and seek the Lord and do crazy things to get the, to budge the Lord to do a miracle. Have you ever stopped the Lord wanting him to do a miracle? Raise your hand if you've done this before. My hand is up because I've done this before. I've climbed mountains. I've gotten up at four in the morning. I've driven places. I've fasted. I've prayed. I've prostrated myself to the Lord. Show me something. You know, and a bird poops on your eye, you know. and What? You know. Have you done this? Sometimes the Lord will give you something. You know, a squirrel will talk to you or a rainbow will happen, you know. And sometimes, you know, weird stuff like that. Listen, God doesn't owe you any miracles. So don't do it for that. But I will say this. If you haven't seen any miracles and you're not doing anything, extravagant or extreme or special for the Lord, you shouldn't expect miracles. That's not going to pour himself out on a parked car. Do something. Start a life group. Start praying with your spouse. Start praying with your kids. Start ministering to your neighbors. Start witnessing to Carol. Start doing something. Just start doing it. Oh my gosh, miracles are happening. This is crazy. Don't do it to force the Lord's hand. I don't think they were forcing the Lord's hand, but they do a couple of things. They sacrifice and they worship and they pray. And all of a sudden the Lord's like, boom, and he does something crazy. And I want the Lord to do something crazy in my life. It, uh, and I'll say this right now. The Lord is doing something crazy in my life. Every, every single, you guys are the crazy. The, this whole church, everything right now, the school, the, the things that are happening at South Beach Church right now, it's the most amazing time at South Beach Church. Is the revival happening right now. Don't pray for revival. Okay, pray that God is blessed in this revival. It's already happening. I hope you see it. I hope you're not missing it. It's already happening. And God is blessing a car that's moving. I will not force the Lord to do something, but when you are consistent, when you are dedicated, when you are devoted to the Lord, I promise you, he's going to be looking for you, and he's going to give you some blessings. Guys, when Mrs. Manoa, here's the 10th principle, here it is, keep growing deeper with the Lord. These guys are worshiping, they're consecrated, and all of a sudden they see something greater, and Manoa drops on his face, and he goes even deeper with the Lord. Isn't this rad? It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's been preaching and serving for five chapters, and in Isaiah chapter 6, he kind of sees the Lord in a new way. And he's undone. He's freaked out. And the Lord blesses him and sends him out for more. And he's a changed man. Oh, that's a groan. I need to be changed again and again and again. These guys grow deeper. Keep growing with the Lord. Two more principles and we're done. As we get to this last portion of scripture, look at verse 21. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we're going to die because we've seen God. <laughs> Poor Mr. Manoah. <clears throat> he freaks out. Ah! He knows that it says in Exodus, you can't look at God, you're going to die. Now, Mrs. Manoah is way more level-headed and way more balanced. This is what she says in verse 23. But his wife, don't you love good wives? Don't you love good people in your life that are stronger than you in a, in a certain time? His wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, bro, 
he would not have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things at, at these, at these, such things as these at this time. Stop right there. He would have accepted our offering. He would have jumped in the fire and ascended, and he wouldn't have promised us we're about to have a baby, you dum-dum. Right? And he's like, oh, oh yeah. Because God's future promises are guaranteed of our victory moving forward. Not just are his future promises, our victory, guaranteed victory moving forward. Listen, but the past encounters of the Lord, the things that God, listen, I hope you have some past encounters. Because if God has moved in your life and done anything at all in your life, and you're still here, you got a pulse, and you get overwhelmed like Manoah. Oh no, the bills are coming in. Everything's a million dollars. This is crazy. The doctor just called. I'm in trouble right now. Like Manoah, I'm going to die. Take a quick inventory. Look back at what the Lord has done in your life and say, nah, he hasn't brought me this far just to bring me this far. Oh yeah, I'm going to test right now. This is kind of messed up. But did you know, principle number 11, our past miracles and encounters with God are proof that God will finish the work that he began in us. That's such a long principle. The things that God has done are proof that God is not done. I just made that up. That's pretty good. The things that God has done are proof that God is not done. He's still going to move forward. I'm going to have Paul lead us up in worship because I'm going to get in trouble if we don't have this response song. All the Sunday school kids are going to go carnal. The 12th principle is this, and it's taken out of the next portion of Scripture. Look at verses 24 and 25. It says, so then we'll begin here next week. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, which means full sunlight. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him in Mahan, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtael. The 12th principle is this. Our flesh is constantly showing up, but our faith is constantly being built up. Isn't your flesh just always getting in the way? Here we see this is happening. God's showing up. He's doing stuff. And Manoah and Mrs. Manoah. But the fruit of this is the Spirit of the Lord begins to bless little Sammy boy. Little Samson. The family begins to be blessed and begins to be ministered to. And I want to encourage you, maybe you guys could stand up as we begin to get into a posture of response and worship now. That no matter what's going on in your life, you know your life. The Lord knows your life. He's ordered your life. That if there's things that are being undone and excavated up and coming out, oh no. The Lord says, hey, settle in. Rest in me. Even though your flesh keeps showing up. What's the Lord's goal? Well, he only spanks the kids he loves. Why would he do this to you? Because he wants to bless you like he did Sammy boy. He wants to move in you. He wants you to grow deep. He wants you to go further. Do you know this? And if you need this to be yours, maybe you're here this morning, there's something going on in your life where you're being tested beyond your comfort level. You're being tested and it's just, it's not fun or I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe it's physical, emotional, spiritual. Maybe it's personal and private. Maybe it's your old family's involved. Oh. I'm going to ask you right now as we sing this song, just to come forward. Come forward just by way of presence. Say, Lord, I just need a touch from you. Just get out of your chair and come forward. Just crowd the stage. We're going to have some prayer warriors and Pastor Tobias and others who are prayer warriors. Maybe Price will be available. And people just to pray. And John, come up and just pray for people and just be available. And Lord, as we do this, as we find ourselves saying, yeah, Lord, I feel like I'm being tested. But I know that you're for me, not against me. And I want to move forward. I want to be available. Maybe you've just been apathetic. You're not sinful, but you also just kind of passively watching and waiting. Maybe even judging. 
watching other people or says, why are you doing that? Well, I just see what they're doing wrong. Why don't you be like Mrs. Manoa? You do the next right thing. Don't worry about that person. You worry about you. You just need your heart softened. You need to be touched by the Lord. Lord, would you minister to us as we respond to you? Holy Spirit, search our hearts now as we sing this song. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this song. If you need prayer, come forward and just crowd the stage. And if you're a prayer person, come up and just pray for a person behind you during this response time. Let's sing the song together. 